0: The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Stock talk with, with Rob Black.
1: Black. Good day and welcome in, Rob Black and your money talking stock talk. Stock talk with Rob Black. Um. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money investing in more. I think 2017 is a year in history that is going to be remembered as we started coming up with the term Amazon. And it was happening long before that, but this is the time when we started saying that company's going to get Amazon. And we started saying who's going to be the winners, who's going to be the losers, who's going to be left standing. Target recently announced on its news blog that it would cut prices on thousands of items trying to compete with Amazon. How much shopping do you do that is based on convenience versus price versus hassle? Um, uh, do you like knowing that you can return things pretty easily? Those are all big questions. And I find that returning things on Amazon is actually a lot easier than returning things at Target or um, other places like Best Buy, where they're like, go stand in line. And that line seems to move slow. So, shares of Target swoon on the news that they're going to be cutting prices. Who else swoons when Target cuts prices? Well, Walmart and Costco. Um, it's hard to figure out why companies would want to cut prices, right? <laughs> Wrong. It makes a lot of sense. When you're competing, you're competing. So if Target's going to compete on price, that means Walmart, Costco, and everyone else has to as well. And if everyone is discounting, everyone's going to be reporting lower margins. There's something called top line, which is revenue. There's something called bottom line, which is earnings. And in between, you can do a lot of damage by improving margins. Even if revenue rises, none of that can be good for traditional re- retailers when you're cutting prices who are already dealing with pricing pressures created by Amazon and others. So the whole sector is kind of feeling that oh yeah i guess we're going to compete aren't we so the days of the consumer not having power kind of ended and i think we could all trace it back to the internet and the dawn of amazon where uh i think we all remember you know googling you know chuck roasted coffee and we would say oh look target's got it for 250 a pound Oh look, Amazon's got it for two forty a pound. Oh look, Walmart's got it for two fifty five a pound. I think I'm going to go with dun da 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 Amazon. So, price wars, as Rodney Foster once said, nobody wins; we both lose. That's kind of true about divorce, but it's also kind of true about price wars. Except for there is one winner: me, the consumer. Uh, so that's out there. And they're off. And who's going to win? It feels like Amazon again and again and again. So that's why some people will say Amazon and Apple will be the first trillion-dollar market valuation company. So just throwing that out there. Not my necessarily opinion. Just sometimes I talk. Sometimes I talk. Just talk. Um, many, many, many years ago, I was a. I wasn't going to. I'm not going to say I'm a fanboy because that totally misrepresents me. But I was kind of nerdy when it comes to. Investing, And I kind of knew a little bit about a lot um, as far as the technology goes and Intel chips versus Cyrix ch- chips versus AMD chips. And uh, if you go back in history, you'll find that IBM made a huge mistake. They had this idea of a personal computer, but they didn't really want to hassle with the software and they didn't really want to hassle with the semiconductor, the CPU. And thus was born Wintel, Windows and Intel. Um, Windows is like, we'll do the operating system. IBM and all their stupid logic was like, okay, fine, you do it. Same thing with Intel. Now, Intel's had market-dominant share because of that, being in the right place at the right time, with the right technology, with the right CEO, with the right relationships. But AMD's new epic design semiconductor is impressing. And their next chip-up is called Nano. Nano. That's the code name at this point in time. Canon Genuity's analyst has dug into details of AMD's epic server chip and likes what he sees. He's also encouraged by the company's intent to jump to 7 nanometer manufacturing process for its chips later this next year. Nano. Nano technology. And uh, I don't know if you remember some of the fads that we've had as investors, but nanotech, a lot of people are like all about Y2K was an investment fad. Um, There's been investment fads that some of them pan out, some of them don't. But Canaccord Genuities, Matthew Ramsey, is reiterating a buy on AMD, and he has a $20 price target for a stock that regularly is around $12 to $14. He's saying that there was a presentation at their Hot Chips conference in Cupertino last month, and he says their presentation was pretty epic on the Epic Semiconductor. But also he went out of his way to say that sales trends looks like they're trending in the right way as well. Now, when you look at the Epic server chip, uh, AMD made the controversial decision to string together four separate chips in place of one. Um, So they basically four dies, die zero, die one, die two, die three. And then you have the other companies that just try to put different cores on top of it. So Intel's Xeon chip kind of what would be considered corner cases. Uh, When you take a look at who's winning, it looks like AMD, given cost to yield realities, AMD chose to sign its initial server products as four-chip multi-chip modules versus a single large chips, and this has proven an area of debate. And, um, you know, when you look at it, AMD is showing, truthfully, 41% cost savings in a four-chip 32-core package versus a single 32-core Epic chip. Um, So a lot of the the decision-making was controversial, but it seems to be paying off. Um, Seven is the new 10, an allusion to AMD skipping the 10 nanometer node that some chip designers are moving to and going straight to seven nanometers. Uh, So they have future down the road, which is called Roadmap, and there's four things that move a stock. There is the stock market, if it's up or down, a stock can move up. There is the sector, if biotech or semiconductors are hot a biotech or semiconductor stock can move up. If software or hardline retail is down, AMD, well, softline, uh, uh, software you know, companies like Microsoft can move down, just it, whether they're doing it great or not. So there's four things that move it. The overall market moving up or down. The overall sector moving up or down. Then the company's decisions that they make. And then there's finally um, roadmaps and visibility down the road. So it's important that companies talk about what they're doing next. Uh, AMD, the Vega graphics chip, which compete in parts with NVIDIA, uh, he said that he was disappointed with some of their uh, performance per watt metrics for the GPUs. And uh, in addition to some other feedback on sales trends for AMD's Ryzen chips for desktops, uh, trends he finds favorable, all things considered. So just because AMD is doing well doesn't mean NVIDIA is doing poorly. And sometimes you could look at it as they're both doing well and they're in a good environment. So again, that would be the sector doing well. So sometimes try, don't, try not to get too macro or too micro with yourself. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. It's robblackshow.com. If you want to learn more about investing, sign up for my podcast. I'd like to see more people on it. Uh, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing and more. Uh, 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz.
0: And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Now, back to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: Stock Talk with Rob Black. Black. I'm Rob Black talking money invested in more. Oh my. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, I did a radio show called Stock Talk with Rob Black. And it was kind of a nationwide phenomenon in stock radio shows, in large part because I was a tech analyst talking tech stocks at a golden age of tech investing. Uh, you put those three things together, and you had quite a storm. And uh, its I moved to California to, you know, because I enjoyed the tech atmosphere. So anytime Apple would come out with an announcement, i like, ooh, let's go find out what they're talking about. Anytime Microsoft would come up with something different, you would like, let's see if this is going to win or lose. Um, it was kind of important. It, it felt important. The golden age of tech investing has has kind of passed, but it will, too, create fads and opportunities for you that you can win in. Um, I, myself, feel too much of a uh, compulsion to protect you to start talking about the latest, craziest things in investing. Um, And I'll go back, you know, just three or four years. I'm not going to buy into the Bitcoin conversation until I feel that your grandmother won't get hurt by the Bitcoin conversation. Uh, when you see things like China saying they're going to freeze cryptocurrency marketplaces, uh, something like a Chinese—I'm not going to say dictator—but something like a Chinese communist leader can basically affect you know your short-term market gyrations and volatility, and I don't like that. And uh, you know, a lot of people get really super emotional about it, so. It is something that I pay a lot of attention to um, as, quote-unquote, do no harm, do no evil. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. How about the newest and latest from Apple? Talking stock talk, talking tech talk, talking Mr. Roboto. The telecommunication market may soon, you know, once again be upended by the Apple effect. Will the Apple Watch ever truly catch on? And it dominates the fit fitness category. Dominates it. A couple years ago is was Fitbit. Um, not so much anymore. So the Apple AirPods are quite nice. They almost instantly sync to Bluetooth. So you open the case, and by the time you put them in your ears, you're listening to music. So you don't have to do that whole connected device thing. Pretty powerful. You can put your phone down, walk 20 yards away, and it's still connected. Pretty nice. You know, what we eventually are going to need are some, you know, services that go to these outside devices other than phones that can operate on their own. And that's the big thing with the new Apple Watch. Apple transformed the terms of the wireless phone business with its first iPhone. And we're waiting for the iWatch to kind of do that same transformation. Um, The 10th anniversary iPhone uh, is going to sell a lot of augmented reality apps just because they have augmented reality in the camera. I don't care if it's great or not. It's going to sell a lot of apps because people are wake up Christmas morning and go, gee, dad, I can't do anything with this augmented reality. Let's get on the app store. So analysts are jumping up in their numbers on apps, which when you see things like Pokemon Go, which is augmented reality, pulling a billion plus dollars and Apple gets 30%, sometimes 15% depending on the publisher. It's pretty good. Apple makes a lot of money when you subscribe to Netflix on the through the iTunes store. So the 10th anniversary iPhone, uh, big event, big, 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 big event. But the iWatch is what a lot of people are starting to watch. It's like, what is their next sustainable product that's kind of all that? We knew the Apple One Watch wasn't going to be all that in a bucket of chicken. The two was much, it had some great improvements. Now the three we're paying attention to. The big rumor and the big story on the Apple Watch will probably, you know, make use of an emerging technology called Embedded SEM. That could further separate the purchase of a new electronic gadget from the grip of the phone companies, and that's something that scares the phone companies. So, there's a company called Gemalto, ticker symbol GTO. It's a supplier to the phone companies. Inside every smartphone is a subscriber identity module, or SEM, which is a teeny, teeny, tiny little plastic card with a chip that employees at the phone store shove inside the device when you buy a new unit. The SIM tells a wireless network that you're a valid customer so you can connect uh, through the telecommunication carrier's lines. Are they called lines if they're wireless? I'm so confused right now. That embedded SIM or eSIM, which has been independent, uh, has been in development for numbers and numbers of years, by a wireless industry consortium, known as the GSM Association, works differently. The chip is built into the device when it's made. Nothing needs to be inserted. Moreover, an eSIM can be set up to be remotely uh, through the internet, and you never even need to visit a store. So the Apple Watch has this eSIM, and it's gonna make it possible that independent data connections. So you might order a watch, open the box, then pick a wireless provider right from the device or from an app on your phone. Now, the eSIM has been incredibly slow to take off. As you can imagine, that consortium doesn't want it to take off. It's been placed within some automobiles with internet connections. It's been placed in industrial equipment. So Samsung's own smartwatch has it. The first eSIM device, I believe, but I'm sure there's someone else. Uh, There's a ex-CEO of Zoran who's got the first uh, MP3 player and someone offered him $150,000 for it. And that's pretty cool. How much would you pay for any first tech device that does a great technology? So the eSIM is in less than 1% of all mobile and automotive devices globally. Everyone's sitting on their hands and waiting for Apple to say, we're going to make this a standard. And if they do, we didn't light the fire. Well, yeah, Apple did light the fire. So because everyone trails Apple in the smartphone race. So if the market for eSIMs waiting to take off, you have to have it with the, something with Apple endorsing it. So, you know, the big question is the Apple Watch having it, allowing you to um, pick your data connectors. It's going to be pretty interesting to see if this lights a fire or hurts at and Verizon, T-Mobile, or Sprint. Apple Watch, uh, moving the Apple, the eSIM from the, the phone, from the watch to the phone to the iPad, which would allow you to select which carrier you want on a month by month basis using a programmable version of the normal SIM card. Apple Watch is going to follow in that tradition. The iPhone may be next. So the launch of the Apple Watch is to be closely watched to see how the eSIM works or doesn't work and how that plays with the five, you know, the big consumer. Uh, telecommunication players T tt verizon uh, mobile t-mobile and sprint so the subsidies that have enticed consumers are still a big advantage for carriers but those subsidies fade over the years now we're going to see if the watch with wearable technology gets a big giant scary leap into the unknown for telecommunication players want the podcast with music Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and your money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220
0: KDOW. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Stock talk with with Rob Black. Black. Oh,
1: my, my, my. Oh, my, my, Captain. Prepare to hit the phasers. I want you to look at everything in the world as an investment product. And I know that sounds stupid, but I think it kind of is. I want you to like have a very big realization that if you're 40 years old and you haven't saved money, that you're probably going to work till the day you die. The 40s decade, foremost, is the time where you should reach your peak income. It often looks like a picture of, you know, hey, I can finally afford that trip to Disney and it's not going to wreck me financially. It should start being like you know. But if I do do Disney this time, I'm not gonna not invest. I'm not gonna take three years or four years off from investing. I'm gonna do this right. 40s decade is just critical to me. For you to understand that it's all about retirement savings. Um, in your 30s, you should have between when you turn 30, you should have between 10 and 40 thousand dollars saved for retirement. And if you don't, you're behind. Why do I say 10 to 40 thousand? That's a big difference. Because it depends on where you live. It's not that big of a difference. It's a lifestyle choice. Um, Later in retirement, by the time you're 40, I want you to have somewhere between 100 and 400. By the time you retire, I want you to have 10 to 20 times your income. So if you're making $100,000, I want you to have between $1 and $2 million. And honestly, that may not be enough. And you're like, you're giving me some pretty vague freaking numbers, ten to twenty, and you're saying that's that like, Rob, you could drive a truck through that. It's kind of like, I, I used to say my last girlfriend's, I'll say my my first wife's, my first wife's thought process. You could drive a truck through that. It's so wide. Uh, boil it down for me. Boil it down for me, Rob. But sometimes you can't because again, it depends on you and your lifestyle. Or a 40-year-old with nothing saved for retirement, putting away $650 a month, about 15% of a $50,000 average annual salary in the United States, can get you about a million dollars in retirement savings by 67. And that'll work for somewhat if you decide you want to be in Arkansas or in Mississippi. Ah, M, cook a letter, cook a letter, ah, cook a letter, cook a letter, ah, letter, hunt letter, ah. And when you're in Arkansas and Mississippi, you're going be like... I live in a trailer. I'm a hunker down on this. I'm a hunker down on this Hurricane Cat 5. I can ride it out. Even though one of your earliest memories in life is the Wizard of Oz. And you don't see a trailer in the sky, but you kind of see some sort of, like, detached house in the sky. You're seeing something going on there. The 40s decade is a critical time. So it's here where you, I'm going to say you're going to work till the day you die or not. Maximizing earnings should be a main focus in your 40s. Um, earnings is just as important as savings. It's just as important as investing in my world. So I want you to start seeing everything as an investment product. And I can talk about price-to-earnings, price-to-sales ratio. And on this hour, and I do this hour, two hours a week, uh, four times a month, eight hours, Um. 80, good gosh, uh, 88, about a hundred hours a year of stock talk. I'm going to dedicate it to trying to get you to be a smarter stock picker or investor overall. It doesn't have to be stocks. It could be indexes. But like, for instance, one of the things I want you to start seeing is everything in your life is a financial decision. I've got credit card, credit karma on my phone and I love it. It's, it's a, it's a way of monitoring my credit score and I'm right around the 800 level, which is more than excellent. It's great. It's fantastic. But I've got a friend who's at 813, and we have this little competition where we kind of like text each other pictures of our credit score. Now, credit scores are super important because they can get you a lower-priced mortgage. And with that lower-priced mortgage, you can save for retirement. Ta-da! Just like that. With that, lower, with that great credit score, you can get a lower-priced loan on a vehicle. I like two-year used vehicles. You may like brand-new vehicles. I'm going to have more money than you when it's all said and done. Ta-da! Ta-da! The credit scores also can get you a house when a buyer has two offers, three offers, or I'm sorry, a seller has two or three or four offers. They may look at who's got the best loan package ready, and that may be tied towards your credit score. Uh, A renter, a landlord may say, you know what? I see that you have an 813 credit score, but this guy here, he's a Yahoo. He's got a 650. That Yahoo's missed a couple times paying credit cards. And that Yahoo may not pay me my, my landlord check. And screw that. I'm going with you, the higher credit score. So credit scores are important. But I want you to see everything in your life as a financial issue. And I'm trying to make this segment like pound that home. The movie of 2017 that was a big surprise to everyone was Stephen King's adapt- adaptation, not adoption. I'm going to adopt a clown. That's freaky. The best part about the new movie It or the movie It was Austin is just a fun city and when Wonder Woman came out they only let, they didn't only but for the first day they—they they, only women were allowed to see Wonder Woman Wonder Woman I love that, I think that's funny um, and to be in a uh, I'm not a woman but to be in a theater of only women that would be pretty cool and to see in a woman superhero I think that would be pretty empowering uh, I saw Ben Haim and it's three sisters and at one point in time when during the talk period in between songs one of the girls one of the sisters notices that there's like a 12 year old girl in the audience with headphones on and she's like I love that um, but Stephen King's adaptation uh, for Warner Brothers shattered records when it earned 117 million dollars uh, for the month of for the month of September it shattered records for horror movies at shattered records um, the highest you know before that 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 September opening of It Paranormal Activity 3 was the biggest horror opening at 52 million this was 117 million dollars that doubled it and back to that theater in Austin I think it's a cinnamon draft house one that you can drink beer at which is a fun concept um, long story short I don't make a long story short at this point in time I don't even like it um, oh they did a screening of It where they only let people dressed up as clowns see the movie I think that's funny. I think that's funny. So it also smashed the record of Transylvania 2's September opening, which had $48.5 in 2015. So not only did they blow through everyone's optimistic and aggressive projections, they they trounced them. And this is Warner Brothers, who is a division of, wait for it, wait for it, Time Warner. So analysts were so conservative with projections, (coughs) and... Confounding the fact that it was an R-rated film. And confounding the fact that it kind of differed and veered from the book. The book has two phases where there's the kids deal with this clown and then later in life the adults of those kids deal with it. They didn't do the adults version. So there will be a sequel down the road. That's not a shocker. That's not a spoiler. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. The clown is really your, your mind. Lock everything down now. So its success is still pretty astounding, especially considering the projection from the director. Um, the director was told to keep, to keep the budget low in case it doesn't work out. $35 million, and it pulls in $117 in the first weekend. That's called a winner on a chicken dinner. Um, the reviews were pretty good. Um, you know, I don't know if you do Rotten Tomatoes and such, but it's out there. And, uh, you know, Psycho, I don't know what... Uh, Homicidal clown. I mean, do we need to say more? But I did love that the homicidal clown of. uh, (laughs) Thank you, homicidal clown. Thank you, homicidal clown, in my closet. Uh, Please get out of my closet. Please. I'm not really afraid of clowns, but then again, do you remember a couple years ago there was a a thing in the South that clowns were walking around and uh, scaring people? And. I think you got to be careful in the South because in the South there was a theory: Hey, let's shoot Hurricane Irma, and people, you know, they they just need an excuse to shoot uh, shoot their weapons. Everyone owns weapons. So they're like, let's shoot at Hurricane Irma. Maybe that'll like blow it up and change the the gale force winds down to just you know a little bit. Anyway, that's enough. But uh, even movies are are somehow tied towards investments. Warner Brothers. That's like one of the areas that I want you to start thinking about with your kids is like, let's start showing them what investing is. And one of my friends, you know, she's cute. Um, She's done fantastic. She's my friend who I share credit information with and uh, her score versus my score. I'll show you mine. If you show me yours kind of thing. And um, she had Spotify. I'm like, why are you using Spotify? You, you own Apple and she's, you know, she's, uh, done quite well in saving for retirement. And I'm always proud of people that do that because it's easy to go out and buy a dress or buy shoes or do something that isn't going to help you. And um, so i like, you know, with kids, like if you show them, like, you just bought a pair of Nikes, now it's good buy shares of Nikes, you understand that it's all about product, and that's what the segment's all about. I don't understand people that have Spotify who invest in Apple. I don't get it. So um, there was a thing back many, many years ago called the Black Dollar where um, African-American activists said, you know, what you should do to support your community is spend in your community um, and don't go outside your community per se. I know that I'm not summing that up perfectly, but as an investor, I think you should invest in the products that you consume so you can at least understand what you're investing in on some level. I know that's very Warren Buffett, Peter Lynch of me, Uh, but Warren Buffett drinks Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, stuff like that, and he invests in the stuff. It makes a little bit of sense. Little Imagine Dragons taking us a break. It's 15 before the hour. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. Get the kids out. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Back to Rob
0: Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Stock Talk with Rob Black. Black. I'd buy that for a dollar.
1: Hello. My name is Rob Black. talking stocks with you. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about money, investing, and more. Um, Something that I'm seeing, and I don't want to get too caught up in this. But I think there's some, some truth to this. Last year, we saw ratings for the NFL, the National Football League, drop. And you wonder, like, wow, do you remember when Colin Kaepernick's contract was the highest ever? And he only lived up to about a third of that before, basically flopping out of the NFL for whatever period of time, being pushed out of the NFL. being, um, Whatever it is. A lot of people blamed ratings drops on Con Kaepernick in 2016. If he's not going to stand for the national anthem, I'm not going to watch your programming. TV ratings for the NFL's Thursday night opener got sacked again. Falling for the fourth straight year as a middle linebacker ran through and knocked Tom Brady in his mouth. The NFL still commands the largest young male demographic of any programming. I don't know if that's in the world, because I like to exaggerate. In the galaxy! But the 12% decline from last season's opener cannot make anyone happy at the NFL. Because the owners make money. And the players look at how much the owners are making and say, we want some of that. So this year's opening kickoff between the New England Patriots and quarterback Tom Brady uh, failed to get, you know, a spark. The ratings tumble is sure to continue the years-long debate of whether the NFL's ability to draw young male viewers is long, cyclical decline going on or what. Are millennials cutting the cable? As Comcast just recently said, you know, that's pretty scary that, you know, everyone's kind of noticing that. You know, ESPN, which is owned by ABC, which is owned by Disney, uh, has said, you know, people are cutting the cord cable cord is being cut and you know our ability to charge premium prices might slip and if that happens the advertisers the networks can't pay the owners premium prices forever but that doesn't mean it's it happens fast it can happen over a 10 20 30 year period where someone else is willing to step in and overpay because they've never been a big player what if google and facebook and uh, apple get into the nfl you know, for Apple to say, or for Apple to be linked to two to five billion dollars of spending on James Bond catalog for kind of a video rollout at some point in time, that's not crazy to start thinking NFL money. So lower ratings are being tied towards the twin controversies. It's the Colin Kaepernick uh, national anthem protest, which tough to believe that one man can bring down the NFL. But another big epidemic that has hit the NFL is. Do you know what it is? I think there's two more. It's the male athlete violence towards women society that we kind of live in. Um, I once was a male athlete and I could tell you that, uh, male athletes get some crazy privilege in life. And, uh, you know, if you can kick a soccer ball, if you can save a soccer ball, if you can throw a football 70 miles, not 70 miles, but 70 yards into a tire while the tire's moving, like you're, you're godified. You're, deity material in the u.s Um, and it's kind of silly but we heap tons of money on you so i think that's a controversy that's starting to hit the nfl pretty aggressively is that these people that have lived a kind of a life of of social privilege uh where they can get away with a lot of things is coming back to bite the nfl and as seen by the ezekiel elliott issue where the nfl wanted to put the Hammer on the guy and suspend him for six games for his issues towards women, even though there's no charges eventually filed. and They're saying, Well, we know you did something bad, and they say, Well, you can't punish me for that. Knowing and proving are two different things kind of, I don't know, I, I'm not smart enough about this, but it's hurting the NFL ratings. And the final thing is the concussion angle. And this is just crazy to talk about because I know I'm going to draw a line in the sand, but again. If the NFL, it's all about product revenue, right? It's all about product. And this goes back to you. There's a guy from Fox News, a guy named Eric Bollinger, who probably liked to take pictures of his genitalia and share that with other people at the station, um, even though he's got one of the most beautiful wives and his son just committed suicide, which you got to go wonder, like, why if that's because of his dad? Like, that's this crazy speculation that we have in our society. Like, you are product. Do not take pictures of yourself. Do not share them with anyone. Let the world wonder. It's much sexier that way anyway. Um, but look at yourself as product, because his ability to earn income is gone down because he's been accused of this, and he doesn't have enough data or evidence to, conf- to tell people that's not the case. Um, long story short, the NFL is in the same predicament now with concussions. And, you know, the head injuries that are happening to people and players committing suicide after their careers are over. People like Junior Seau, who was an incredibly popular, incredibly good-looking spokesperson for the NFL. Um, But he was traumatized, uh, probably because his head got hit a lot in in football. And a lot of moms go, I don't want that to be my kid. A lot of moms don't care. A lot of dads say, I don't want that to be my kid. A lot of dads don't care. And I think that's hurting it. So... Uh, but I think, to me, the biggest thing is, is the young people, 18 to 25-year-olds, are saying, you know what? I could watch YouTube. I could watch the highlights. I, I, don't, I don't have to necessarily be actively involved in this. If you looked at the open game weekend in San Francisco and uh, Los Angeles, stadiums, they weren't half-filled. They are quarter-filled. The game has gotten too expensive to take families to. And if, when you take a family to a game, you're getting an eight-year-old and his dad, and that eight-year-old becomes a dad one day. And he takes his kid, and then he takes his dad, too, his granddad. And, like, it's generational. And the families are being priced out, and corporate America is sucking. It's sucking life out of the sports. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial for Stock Talk. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.